Turn your porch lights off because we're coming home with a trophy. Last play. Bremer goes down the short side, turns it away to Karina Brown. She puts it on the foot. That's taken the hand of Fiso. Brown hustling up. She's dived on the ball. You're listening to Ladies Who Lead. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. I'm your host, Mary Kay, and wanted to say a big, big, big thank you to all our listeners. It was announced this week that we won the popular vote in the sports category in the Castaway Podcast Awards. So thank you so much to everyone that voted. Britt and I really appreciate it and hope you continue to love this show as much as we do. It's funny, we had Todd Greenberg on the show last week and he said that a week is a long time in rugby league and I really feel that that's the case this week and I can't wait to get into it. But first of all, let me introduce you to my panel. A very big good morning to David Ray, a senior digital media executive and a very big Canberra Raiders fan. Good morning. Morning, Mary. Thank you for coming in. I can't wait to talk about the Raiders with you. I'm very excited. Oh, we, we could do a whole separate podcast on that. We could. There's an idea. What are you doing next week? <laughs> I'm, I'm back. Perfect. I've also got Danica Mason from Channel 9. Thank you for coming back. Good good to be back. Can't wait to talk about all the rugby league stuff it's, that's happened this week. It's been the most hectic two weeks. I need a holiday. I think you do. A nice little holiday before the next big thing happens, which will probably be later this afternoon, exactly. to be real. <laughs> and finally, welcoming Carmen Martin into the studio, one of Australia's most wonderful taekwondo athletes. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thank, thank you. Thank you for so much for coming in. It's super exciting to have you here. Oh, I'm excited to be here today. Thank you. No, that's all right. Now, where should we start? Should we start at the beginning of the week? Danica, the West Tigers announced Ivan Cleary as coach. So Ivan Cleary, he's coached 252 NRL games. He's been at the Warriors and at the Panthers. Aaron Wood sat down with Ivan very quickly after he'd been appointed and his only comment was, I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe it. He's the spitting image of his son. It is crazy. <laughs> they look so alike. I was with um, I was interviewing Nathan last night um, after their game and I was talking to him. It was quite interesting. He was saying that um, when Ivan got let go from the Panthers, he said, oh, you know, he took, took a couple of months and was quite relaxed and stuff. And then he said after a while he started to notice that his dad just needed to get back in. He goes, I don't know why you'd want to be an NRL coach. Everyone seems to get fired and everything. But he said he's like, oh, look, there's something about it that you could just tell he was hungry for it again. David, what do you think? Have the Tigers made a good decision here? That's putting, that's a hard first question, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah cheers. Um, I, I think it's a bit of a testament that there's – largely a lack of depth when it comes to really high quality coaching. And that's no criticism of the people who are assistant coaches and the like, but whenever a coach is let go and that happens pretty regularly, although last year was the aberration that we had no coaches let go during that year. And now we've got, you know, all, all of this conjecture. Um, look, the, the really tough part is that I think the Tigers, once they'd made the decision to let JT go, kind of didn't have a choice about where they were going to go. They wanted a strict disciplinarian. They wanted someone who had rebuilt clubs, which he'd done with the Warriors in Penrith. So I think it's it's a good choice, but now the rubber hits the road. What happens in terms of player recruitment? What is the squad going to look like over the next three years? So I, I think as long as he has the autonomy to do what he needs to do, I'm, I'm confident he's going to get there. He's got a big job ahead of him. Yeah. There is so much stuff happening at that club that he's got to sort out. Yeah, and, and there's things like, as, as and Danica, you go around clubs far more than me, but the quality of the facilities is one of those key ones. Like the Tigers are behind. 
Definitely. There's no question. Whereas you compare, say, what Souths are about to do down in Maroubra or what the Raiders are looking at doing in Canberra with their new facility, the Tigers have put that pitch in, but unless that money is granted, they're still sitting where they are. Yeah, we go to Concord all the time and honestly, I fear that one day that stand is going to fall down on us. Far out. <laughs> I think the other thing with the Tigers is that people don't really understand the difficulty of being a club that was two former clubs and now being put together. So... I always think about the board situation where you've got five representatives from West and two from Balmain and two independents. So West, I hope, are happy with this decision because if they're not happy, then I don't see Ivan having much success. The board need to really come together. They need to stand behind the decision to appoint Ivan, which I hope they're doing, and he needs to have control of the team and decide which direction it's going in because, for me, the Tigers have had just too many cooks in the kitchen. Definitely. And I th- I fear for, for Tigers fans, I really do hope that Woods and Tedesco stay because without them, I think it's just, it's yeah, it's not going to be anywhere near the same. Well, that also exploded this week. So that was another big issue in rugby league this week. Suddenly as a Parramatta fan, I'm welcoming Mitch Moses to my club. Hooray, hooray for me. But I think the next big test for the Tigers is retaining both Woods and Tedesco. We were talking about the big four. I don't really know whether that's a fair representation of yeah, those I, four players. I, I, I think that's – if you describe the big three in Melbourne, I don't think you can use the word big in relation to that group. And that's no disrespect to those guys, but you're talking the, potentially the greatest hooker and fullback of all time and one of the greatest halfbacks of all time. So then saying the word big four in comparison I find very difficult. I think it was just a term that everyone sort of yeah. everyone liked and sort yeah. of started circulating and it just became bigger than, yeah. than the we, four. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I really hope that Teddy does stay though, and Aaron Woods actually, because I think now that they've got a new coach, there's an opportunity for those two men to be at the centre and to help to rebuild the club. They're extremely talented footballers. And I think the Tigers have a very talented team as well. They just need a little bit of discipline and to be listening to their coach. Mm. The Coach needs to be in control. Mm. They have yeah. some exciting players. You, yeah. you watch some David Nifaluma at the start of the season. Yeah, yeah. He was on fire. They've got Elijah Taylor. He's been great. Sully's been great on the wing as a yeah. finisher. Yeah. He's, Kevin Nagama's great in attack. Yeah. Yeah. And Not so much defense. Yeah. But, but even the you know, sort of workhorse players like Matt McKillick coming in, you know, he's had a couple of different seasons with different clubs, but he's been able to consolidate. He's not letting them down. Yeah, he was quite good at that, yeah. that game against the Storm at Leica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and look, just going back to that point about the board, I, I, one of the things I perceive is that actually, strangely enough, I don't see the board as being divided. There may have been some changes in management and the like that have happened over the years, but certainly the p- public perception I have is that the West Tigers board is not a divider group, so what Parramatta have gone through oh, in recent no years. No one's Parramatta. Yeah, up. so it's the, the West side of it as Balmain have had their issues financially in recent years appear to have been very respectful, very tolerant, mm. you know, focused on the idea of actually moving ahead as a unit. The, but again, it's got to be the consolidation of that as it moves ahead. So, look, I... I I think there's the right things in place for it at the moment. If I was a Tigers fan, I wouldn't be too full on. You've got a great coach. You've got some players who, as long as you can negotiate properly with them, it's going to go well. Yeah, there's a positive outlook. I like it, a positive outlook. Let's leave it at a positive outlook for the Tigers. I think (laughs) Tigers fans would be very happy to hear you say that. Can we talk a little bit about Cooper Cronk as well? David, I know oh. you are a big fan. I almost want to play like a, a love song in the back while we talk oh, yeah. about There's Cooper a man Cronk. crush going on there. Yeah. A little bit jealous of Tara. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. 
No. No? <laughs> I had to okay, think just about confirming no. 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 So in case you missed the news, Cooper Cronk confirmed that he's going to walk away from the Melbourne Storm at the end of the year and has been granted a release. He's going to move to Sydney uh, where his fiancée, the fabulous Tara Russian, is based and the rugby league world, I think, just fell a little bit more in love with Cooper Cronk after he made that decision. Yeah, I, I expected it to be like that scene in Love, actually, where everyone got up at the press conference and started singing All You Need Is Love. <laughs> um, I, it was it was a, a lovely moment, I think, and when you started to dig into it, Roy Masters wrote a great piece the other day about, uh, you know, Cooper being close to Billy and Cameron and seeing over the years, like, they started out flatting together and then they've grown up through the team and the two boys have had their children and he goes around for dinner, but then Cooper, you know, this sort of image of him going home to an empty apartment was was quite poignant and I, I say this as somebody who is married and I've got two kids and, you know, my, my family and my life with them is everything. And you go, he's looked at that conceivably and gone, yeah, there, there's more to this mm. and, yes, I could earn a few more years, do a few more years, but he understands football like in life, like you can't have kids when, you know, you're in your 50s. So he wants to get on with his life and I think there's just nothing to do but admire the fact that he's decided – you know what, there's more to life than this and the woman I love is in Sydney and that's where she is so that's where I'm going to go. I mean, yeah. Respect. It's it's fantastic. I think it's great because so often in rugby league it's a lot of the girlfriends, wives, fiancés that sort of have to follow them around and give up their life and this is a real sort of the opposite side of it. I think it's really nice. Yeah, and it's it's also being frank about it that – the economics of it are very different that I obviously don't know what a salary at Fox Sports is, but I know that he could be the highest paid player in the game mm-hmm. if he switches to another club next year. But he's gone, no, I want a life with this person and wherever that is is wherever it is. And I, I think, you know, speaking as somebody who's married to and you know, somebody who I, you know, is I'm so punching above my weight. <laughs> um, but the idea that, yes, you, for love and for your relationship and for your family unit, you will decide to do whatever is required and that means that's it. And so who could not wish them all the best and him all the best? And you saw Craig Bellamy's heart break a little bit this week. Um, and who does? I love Craig. I mean, <laughs> honestly, just the passion that he shows every minute of every game. I want Bellamy Cam. You know, if you, it'd be great to see if Nike can actually have a red button I'll application. I'll talk to the bosses. <laughs> yeah. But you saw that with him that way this week and he at the same time as he's moved his life down to Melbourne as well. So he, I think he utterly respects what he's doing. He's disappointed but he goes, yeah, mate, you got to do it. I think so too. Danica, the end of an era for the Melbourne Storm, you think, at the end of this year? That's yeah, the feeling definitely. That I got. But you know what? Craig Bellamy is such a good coach. They will be fine. Oh, they absolutely. They will be so fine. The amount of players that have gone down to the Melbourne Storm and have suddenly <laughs> slotted right into a team, they've got a designated role and they do that role well. I always think about Ryan Morgan and Chase Blair from the Eels. People used to make fun of them when they played at the Eels. Now Chase Blair's down there with his long sleeve doing his thing <laughs> and is a really good solid player and that's, I think, a testament to Craig Bellamy as a coach. And I don't think – I think being out of the limelight, especially out of the Sydney limelight, he doesn't get as much recognition as what he should. But, I, yeah, hats off. I think he's probably the best, yeah, a top at least two coaches in the NRL. And that, sorry, I was going to say, from a recruitment perspective, I think it's a very interesting point that certain clubs have to throw money at people to be able to bring them down. I almost think that the moment that Kronk left, you could see a queue at the door of players who would be wanting mm-hmm. to take that position on and would be willing to take less money because they go, I'm going to be a better player, I might end up playing Origin, I might end up, might end up with a title. 
that's what players well, ultimately Well, that's want. what a lot of the players, yeah, they do. They go down there on, on less money because they know that they're going to be made into a better player yeah. and then they'll reap the rewards when their next contract comes around. And then they never end up leaving. <laughs> Until they have a girlfriend in Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> Until they meet Tara Rushton, who we love on this show. Like, I'm just so happy for the two of them. What a lovely story. And what a nice way to end our first segment, I think. We'll take a break and come back in a sec. We stand by for the clap. Draper takes them down the tunnel. Let's get back into rugby league and talk about the three games that have happened so far. Let's start with Thursday night, the Broncos and the Roosters. The Broncos won 32 points to eight. Here's an interesting stat for everyone. Going into this game, the Roosters had lost their last 15 games when trailing at halftime. The Roosters went in at halftime leading 14 points to eight, but any hope they had of winning that game was destroyed when Corbin Sims broke through the line. Danica, what did you make of this game? What a blowout score! Pretty line. much, um, we um, I did some interviews yesterday when the um, Roosters came back, and um, we we're talking to Boyd Cordner about it, and he said um, they're not concerned yet, despite what 30, 32 to mm. eight scoreline. Yeah. Um, he said there's it's not an attitude problem or anything, and compared the, this to where they were last year, they're actually doing pretty well, which is true. But still, a loss like that, there's going to be some. Big, big changes this week, I can expect. I don't think it's time to press the panic button. There's just been two disappointing weeks in a row and I think they'll need to pick it up next week. David, you had an interesting like love in over Cooper Cronk. I want to have one about Andrew McCulloch. He was absolutely amazing. He scored a try. He set one up, 48 tackles. And if you didn't think he was Superman then, what about the ankle tap on Michael Gordon? Yeah, it, it, there was a point in the commentary where they talked about uh, the 89 grand final, the greatest day in ACT history, when Mal Meninga ankle tapped McNeil, which basically prevented a try being mm. scored that turned the match. That sort of 100-metre stretch where I think it was Connor Watson had made the break-up field and then the ankle tap and the intercept, like in our house, everyone was up on the couch going and rewinding in the DVR, just going, that was an incredible stretch of play. But McCulloch, I think it was that he had not only ankle tap, but he'd made the tackle before. Like human beings can't do that. So it was, yeah, I get your man crush there. It was just out of control. It really was. And Danica, what about Tatao Moga? What did you make of his performance? Yeah, he was pretty impressive. I have to say, though, I, I think it, Rooster's defence is what let them down. Mm. Like It was it was shocking. It was shocking. <laughs> yeah. The amount of tackles missed, that's just, yeah, they're going to have to fix that because you watch there for the first start of the – they were unbeaten for the first well, – was it four or five? Four. Four, four, four yeah. games of the season. They were unstoppable. You, they had one loss to the Seagulls, which was quite tight, and then this. Mm. Like, it's just, yeah. They'll need to pick change. up their game, I think. Yeah, and I, I think seeing Trent Robinson's reaction afterwards, one of the things I really love about him as a coach, like him and that, that Craig Bellamy commitment to excellence, is sitting and saying – it's just not good enough. And the attitude that seems to be pervasive through that club at the moment is all about that kind of thing mm. of saying, 
we want to turn this around within a couple of days. They're not going to let it fester. They're not going to let it manifest itself. And so I, th- I think probably the major benefit they've got at the moment is at least you want it happening in round six. You don't want it in round 20. Yeah, And absolutely. start to go what's going to happen with the rest of the season. So, um, And particularly doing it before origin period as well. So, yeah, yeah. Speaking about a team with a little bit of attitude, let's talk about the game between the Knights and the Bulldogs. The Bulldogs won this game 22 points to 12. I was really, really sad after this result. I tipped the Knights. I love it how the Knights are doing this. Like, yeah. you watch their game against the Sharks. This is great. The, I think this is and for Newcastle as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and there's shades of Newcastle at the moment. Like, Newcastle aren't having blowouts. They're losing these games by a try or eight points. Mm-hmm. There's shades of where the Raiders were two or three years ago. That The Raiders were losing... I think three years ago lost something like 15 games by less than eight. The Knights are doing that every week. So it's it's proof that what they're doing is starting to work. There's, you know, Caelan Ponger will come next year. Who knows if Jack Bird's going to go. But they're, they're punching above their weight at the moment. I, I still think it was brave, Brittany, for you to tip them. But Look, yeah. I have a soft spot for the Knights. And as you, does. Yeah. as you keep saying, they are showing real ticker this year and they're not having those blowout games, which we were used to last year. They're no longer the easy beats of the competition. And I'm really enjoying the spirit that they're playing with. All right, we've spoken about Cooper Cronk. We've spoken about Andrew McCulloch, Nathan Ross. Can I get a round of applause, yeah, please, yeah. for Nathan Ross? I saw highlights of that try. He is a magician. Like, truly interviewed him last year. He used to do springboard diving when he was younger. <laughs> Seriously, which explains the acrobatics, right? So he sort of caught that ball, was upside down. Montoya came in and sort of, I don't know, nudged him and he was upside down and he put the ball down and, ugh. Nathan Ross. Should this be the halftime entertainment then? He can be like Duncan the Diamond Horse from The Simpsons. <laughs> Do you know what? He'd probably enjoy that. He, he loves that sort of stuff. So Nathan Ross, another shout out for him oh, awesome. on this show. And yeah. I have to say, I think um, I think um, Trent's taking quite a, a big role up there. I heard him last night. You could hear just some of the um, some of the talk on the field, and yeah, he was getting quite fiery. So I think that's I think that's great for them. Absolutely. There was one more game last night. I got this tip wrong as well. Far out. I didn't. <laughs> Panthers v Rabbitohs. The first thing that I wanted to talk about was some talk on social media last night that was blaming Anthony Griffin for costing the Panthers two points for making the incorrect decision about dropping Matt Moylan, Peter Hiku, and um, who was the third player? There was one more. Um, Wonga Blake. That's it, Wonga Blake. I just want to make the point that I don't think Anthony Griffin made the incorrect decision at all. Those three players made a choice. They made the wrong choice. They were not in accordance with team protocol and they were punished and I think appropriately as well. Yeah, I think think he's done – this is a strong stance from him and he's always – Anthony Griffin's always had a big focus on discipline (laughs) and I think this is his way of showing it. I don't think the players are going to muck up again. No. Uh, you know, they've been – they've today, to this afternoon, they'll be playing reserve grade. That'll be their lesson learned. And I don't think it was just Anthony Griffin's solo decision either. I don't think you can mm. – I, I think if the players weren't doing the action, then he wouldn't have to punish them. And, you know, the Panthers were still in it. They could have – anyone could have won that game. Yeah, th- there's also that old um, – American political truism about it's not the not the lie that you know it's not what you do that'll get you, it's the lie and the cover up mm. afterwards. So the fact that those players have broken protocol, they've they've gone against the team mentality. I mean, we've all worked in environments, be it team, sport, professional, where if everybody's being treated equally, the culture that builds within that organization goes much better and you mm. end up with a harmonious team. 
But if you see certain staff being treated differently and getting away with things, you know, not performing in the way they're meant to do, it ultimately starts to break away at it. But look, the biggest point is, yeah, if the management of the, of the Panthers, if the coaching staff went, this is what you did and they've made that decision, that's their call. Mm. And yes, they may have lost the game by one point, but in the long run, the theory would be that they're going to be better off for it. So you've got to pull them in line. I, I was surprised to see, though, they didn't put the Michael Jennings punishment in and didn't make the guys hand out tickets around the field <laughs> like they did a couple of years ago. I thought that would have been very interesting. Oh, if Matt Moylan had been handing out tickets, I would have gone up to <laughs> Penrith last night yeah. to watch that game. Yeah. So when do we get the bobblehead returning to action? Yeah, so I should tell listeners about this. Uh, I have a Matt Moylan bobblehead and I keep him at work and you know, sometimes I talk to him and ask him questions and bobble his head. <laughs> the answer's always yes. <laughs> David's about to spit water out. But this week I've turned him around. We're not speaking at the moment. I think he'll have learnt his lesson though after today and I think he'll be a little bit embarrassed playing reserve grade as well. Definitely. I think so too. Like it is. As as the skipper, this is, you know, I can't even remember the last time this Mm. happened. He would be embarrassed having to go out there. and It, It was Michael Jennings. He got dropped to play for Windsor and then he got picked for Origin the next week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, so I think um, Matt will have learnt his lesson so we may be on speaking terms on Monday morning. I will keep you all up to date. But I also want to talk about Cody Walker because everyone's been talking about Luke Keery for Origin. What about Cody Walker for Origin? He was great last night. Mm-hmm. He was, yeah, he was very impressive. Uh, we, um, he said last night that it's always been a dream of his to play for the Blues, but he doesn't think it. He doesn't think that he'll get the shot. Yeah, he, he's a great fantasy football pickup uh, for anybody like. I've got him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm looking at guys like him and Matt Frawley and, and a few others who are coming through the ranks at the moment, who are people who have played Queensland Cup, New South Wales Cup for a few more years, and they're sort of emerging on the scene at 24, 25. And I think that's that's a bit of a testament to how the quality of those competitions as well. These guys, <clears throat> excuse me, aren't necessarily coming through the Holden Cup ranks, but they're having that that time there to really hone their skill. And and I think it's it seems to be the smaller players who are the ones who are really flourishing in that environment at the moment. Cody Walker's a great example. I have to say a little story about Cody Walker. Last night, um, after they'd just won the game, he was in sh- in the um, in the dressing rooms, in the South dressing rooms, and he took his little boy in there because he needed to change his nappy. So all the players are in there, you know, after a big game, and he's still on dad duties and he's changing his son's I love nappy. that. How That's phenomenal. I love that. That's phenomenal. Uh, Carmen, you poor thing, you've been sitting us listening to us gabble about rugby league no, for the last <laughs> twenty minutes. It's awesome. I'm I'm fascinated, and oh. yeah, I'm I'm listening and learning. Like I'm, yeah, it's it's really um. Yeah, nice to hear everyone speak. So, do you have a team? I do. Storm. I'm I'm a Melbourne girl. So, anyone who's born in Melbourne loves Melbourne. I don't think I've (laughs) I've met anyone that yeah doesn't feel quite patriotic about that city. So yeah, and they're a great team. So it just happens to work really well. It's funny. So Shani Layton talks about when she moved to Melbourne, and she says exactly the same thing that she was never interested in rugby league, but then she jumped on board the Storm and really really loves them. So. That's nice to hear. It's also good to hear because the Storm are not a team that get a lot of love from me being a bitter, <laughs> gross Parramatta supporter and I completely admit that it's hypocritical because of what happened with Parramatta last year. But, look, what can I say? Well, is, is the difference between rotting a salary cap and winning and rotting it and coming last? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. Like I feel like 2009 was, was our chance and it was 
taken away from me brutally. Um, so, no, I think it's really, really nice that we've had a bit of love for the Melbourne Storm on the show today. David, are you looking forward to a game this weekend in particular? Look, there's there's the obvious statement that, of course, the blockbuster of the weekend is on the Gold Coast tonight with the Raiders. But I, I, will, <laughs> I will readily admit that the Manly-St. George game, sorry, St. George-Illawarra game, is who knew who it six weeks ago would, yeah. that you were going that you were absolutely relishing this going ahead? It's it's two teams of a complete unknown. Like the Dragons have become an attacking machine. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I will admit I had Dragons as wooden spooners at the start. Me too. Of this yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So, yeah. Uh... So the Ouse Douse banners have been pulled down from, from <laughs> you know from everywhere else. Uh, so yeah, look, I'm I'm really looking forward to this. These are two exciting attacking teams. The, the magic that Terry Evans and team wielded against Canterbury a few weeks ago, like that is just almost like a marketing campaign on its own. The, those tries were incredible that day. And the Dragons forward pack, I think I've said it every single week, but they are just epic at the moment. Like Tyson Frizzell, Jack DeBellin, they've been – Paul, Paul Vaughan. Paul Vaughan's Paul been Vaughan. great. Yeah. I know, uh, right? As, as a, and I will say as a Belconnen born and bred person myself, that Vaughan being from, uh, from that region of the ACT, that – he was one of those guys that was sort of in the forward pack of the Raiders and did well, but was a bit erratic that way. But obviously the, the Dragons have made him train the house down and he's become just an amazing player. For him to be on the edge of origin blows my mind. Well, he was saying that um, this week he was saying that the reason that he reckons that he's going so well is because of the um, fitness regime that they had in the offseason. So they had one of the most intense pre-seasons. They had like AFL coaches coming in and doing all these different training with them. And he says, he says this is the fittest that a lot of them have ever been. Yeah, that, they all look much Well, it shows, leaner. right? It shows. Yeah, that, they all look really lean. They said it was torture, but it's now paying off. Well, <laughs> it, always, it always is. Danica, what about you? Any game in particular? I have to agree. Same one? Dragons. It's going to be a great one. You can see, yeah, at the start of the year, you would never have expected these two teams to be up there battling this. Um, the Trebojeviches, they're always so exciting to watch. Um, it'll be interesting to see the Dragons without Dugan mm-hmm. for the whole game. Um, I think I've tipped Manly on that basis. Just I did. Because, I like, did. It's hard, right? Like, who do you tip? Exactly. I tipped the Seagulls. So hopefully, Dragons will probably win. And you know what? The best <laughs> thing about it is, at the start of the season, everyone was talking about the pressure on Trent Barrett. Now look at them. He's dancing. Exactly. He's loving life at the moment. Exactly. So good on him. Yeah. Um, well, he never ages anyway. So <laughs> well, if he, he needs it the, as an NRL coach, yeah, he knows <laughs> you never stress, know. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be great. <laughs> look, I'm also looking for. Well, am I looking forward to Eels Warriors? If the Eels lose, I, I just don't know how I'll be in the studio next week. <laughs> I'm looking forward to Titans Raiders as well. Also because I read a preview of that game by Tony Webber. Oh, Tony. Which was extremely entertaining. So his big thing was about Leipana and how everyone's talking about Leipana. Apparently there's a new glamour rugby league um, dream team at the moment. They're calling Ash Taylor and Kane LG Cashley apparently, but it doesn't have the same ring as Leipana. I like that, Cashley. Cashley, you Sounds like it? Sounds very GC. No, I actually pre- I preferred Eltay. It's <laughs> 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 sort of had a bit of a South American type twist okay, to it as well. Cool. So, yeah. But no, I enjoyed that from Tony Webeck. He's a talented writer. I uh, yeah. Look, I, I used to work with Tony, and he's an amazing journalist. Um, he, he managed to weave into that article references to Taylor yes. Swift and Tom Hiddleston, mm-hmm. and his tweets about it. He was desperately trying, and sort of one of them would interact with it in the way that they could, but uh, sadly, neither of them bit. 
Oh, if he's getting interaction from Taylor Swift, <laughs> like if that's all you have to do, mention her in an article, that's all I'll be doing for the rest of the yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think there are those people are known as stalkers. Oh, yeah. is that what we're called? Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm used to that title. I've sort of embraced it now. Everyone sort of knows about me and what I do, yeah. so I'm pretty comfortable with that. But, but it, it'll be a lottery, I reckon, to see which Titans team turns up today. I mean, the, the injuries and the fact that those guys are still competitive in games is, is quite incredible. I think the only guarantee to come out of that game is that their performance will be called gritty. <laughs> it always is every single week. The Titans were really gritty. They were really, really brave. That's yeah. what we'll get out of that game. Workmanlike. I like it. Yeah. I like it. We'll take a break and come back in a sec. <laughs> I've been fangirling all through today's show and I think I'm just going to do it one more time because meeting Carmen Martin last year I think really changed my life and I'm actually going to say changed my life because... Carmen is a three-time Olympian representing Australia in Taekwondo and was an athlete that I had never heard of before reading a profile piece on her on SBS Zella last year. And I was just absolutely so amazed with her story. And sort of, I think, Carmen, the lack of publicity you've had and that not everyone in Australia knows your name, the fact that I have more Twitter followers than you <laughs> is a cause of great shame to me. So I'm very happy that we have you in the studio today and just want to hear all about you and all about your experiences. I think you are absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. I wish I could have you around every single day just to make me feel good about That's myself. That's right. Please give me a call every day and I'll just give you like a 30-second pump up. But Carmen, last time we caught up with you, you were preparing for Rio. Unfortunately, you were eliminated in your first round there but what was the Rio experience like? It was very different to my other Olympic experiences I think there was just such a big build-up and hype and you know everyone was thinking that you know Rio is this party country and you know the vibe's going to be amazing and it was actually really different it was quite flat as an Olympics and a lot of players commented on that um, and I think it was very, I think compared to the other Olympics, a lot more serious. Everyone wanted to do well. Everyone had a lot of pressure. Everyone's a lot older and further in their careers. So I think um, it was a bit more serious and, and the vibe I think was, I guess, yeah, a bit, a bit flat for my liking. So it was, it was challenging in the sense. And Carmen, you've come out and spoken about how you felt after being eliminated and there have been a couple of athletes, I've found female athletes in particular, that have come out and spoken about how much they learnt from the Olympics. So we had obviously Kate Campbell in the swimming, we had Shelley Watts in the boxing. What did the Rio experience teach you? So many lessons. How long do you have? As long as you want. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, some... some um, Lessons I thought I had already learned in London, I guess, being a bit too nice. I think um, I made a tactical error on my competition day, which sort of came down to me being too nice and wanting to accommodate um, someone who was giving me tactical advice that's close to me, but uh, not my coach. And they yelled something out and it made me change my tactics in my fight. And because I come from a really, I guess, uh, nice family you know I want to sort of accommodate people but it was the wrong time to be listening to someone else other than my coach and um uh yeah so that was a bit frustrating um you know it was still my decision uh, I could have listened or not listened at that point in time but I, I chose to and um I think that that's something that I still need to develop and get over um knowing when it's time to be professional and time to put I guess certain um other 
uh, I guess, relationships to the side when it's competition time. So, um, yeah, I think on a broader sense, I think the Rio Olympics taught me to not put all my eggs in one basket. And I think a lot of athletes did this where they based their happiness on the Olympics. And you sort of shut off other areas in your life because everything is for the Olympics. And you may not go study, you may not go see friends and be social, you may not develop other areas of your career because you're so focused on the Olympics. And then when that sort of doesn't go to plan or falls through, you're sort of left with nothing and you haven't developed other areas of your life. So that has definitely made me sort of reassess what I'm doing with my life, still training and competing and wanting to be the best athlete I can be, but making sure that I'm developing other areas of my life and I have other areas of happiness too. So going back to study and that's really beneficial for athletes, like building new neuro pathways in your brain is is always going to be beneficial for any athlete and it will make you, I think, um, a bit more sharper and a bit more, I guess, um, how would I say, like a, a bit more, I, I don't know, like I think you have more energy, you have you have more hunger to do what you're doing if, yeah, you, you have other interests in your life too. So then, Carmen, what have you been doing since you returned from Rio? Well, I started a new course in um, performance. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying to build my screen work. I'm, I'm looking at maybe getting into, I don't know, martial art films. And yeah, that's so that's awesome. yeah, <laughs> something that's, uh, I don't know, I've been doing the sport for so long. I thought that, yeah, maybe I can just do a bit more performance um, and just have fun and be creative. Uh, also developing my interview skills and looking at getting into media at, at some point later on in my career and getting better at being interviewed, getting better at interviewing and, you know, working on my vocabulary and um, pronunciation, articulation and trying to speak, you know, developing all those skills just so I, I think that, you know, if I go into seminars, which um, my sister and I are also building a business where we're going to be touring around Australia giving martial art and taekwondo seminars. So that's going to help me, you know, be a be, yeah, better presenter as well and, yeah, get people involved in martial arts and sports. So, I want to come. Yeah. <laughs> I want to come. Oh. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really exciting. So, yeah, my sister and I are actually, um, yeah, doing tours with uh, private businesses, corporate work, also um, within the Taekwondo community. So, traveling around Australia and sharing our knowledge um, and coming from a female perspective because there hasn't been a lot of um, female athletes getting out there and sh- sharing their um, perspective um, from a martial arts point of view. we've touched on your sister a little bit already, but what some people may not know is that there are four people in Australia's Taekwondo team. One of them is you, one of them is your sister, and one of them is your partner. What's it like competing with three of the, you know, closest people in the world to you. Sorry, two of the closest people <laughs> in the world to you. Well, my brother also competes at the top level. So, yeah, that, that can go. take it up to There's the three. <laughs> yeah, so he just missed out on Rio. He was the reserve. So it was very close to being um, three. Uh, it is uh, a catch-22, in all honesty. It can be amazing to travel, like, with your family and your partner and to share those experiences and know you have those same memories and you're able to reminisce and bounce off each other but at the same time it can be difficult because you can sometimes be off two different programs so I'm like recently a couple of weeks ago I was in Europe for two weeks and my partner Safwan just left yesterday um, or two days ago to go and travel to other tournaments that he's targeting so there can be a lot of time apart um, and you have to be very sensitive of each other's emotions and uh, their results may be going well and yours not going well and vice versa so you might even though you can share these experiences, you don't always have someone there to pick you up 
if you're feeling down because you're going to have to support them when they're feeling down and you have to be really sensitive and sometimes you need to spend time apart because it's too stressful um, to be together and um, yeah, it, it's 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 good and bad. Like there's definitely been benefits, but it can be hard and um, being separate, being on other sides of the world before Rio, I'd moved my ba- taekwondo base back to Melbourne um, to be with my club. And that was, you know, eight months apart from my partner. And before that, I was separate from my sister, who's been my training partner for the last, you know, 15 years. And yeah, it was, it was a tough time, like emotionally, um, yeah, just trying to balance a relationship. Um, but yeah, I, I, no, honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I think the, the benefits out, outweigh the hard times. Carmen, last year you were nominated for Women's Health Sportswoman of the Year. I'm very interested to know how you think coverage of women's sport has changed from when you first started competing to when you are competing now because I know you were Australia's first ever world champion in Taekwondo but I don't remember much in the media at that point when that happened. Yeah, it was it was really bizarre. Like it's a, it was a historic moment. Like it's moment. a big deal. <laughs> we've never had a world champion and finally we've had one for Australia and um, – yeah, we got pretty much nothing when we got back. Um, there was a program, Channel Channel 9 run, um, but that was thanks to a mum who was at our club and her daughter does taekwondo, so she was so excited and she's like, I want to tell the world about this, you know, can we run a program? I'm like, you know, yes, please, that would be amazing. But when my manager and I um, approached the uh, major newspapers, they told us that, sorry, we're, we're too busy right now focusing on the Essendon drug scandal and um, the AFL. Yeah, yeah, Essendon drug scandal and we're like, oh, okay, like, you know, we're doing, someone's doing the right thing. You've got someone that's actually not taking drugs, <laughs> that's actually training really hard, you know, for the last 15, 20 years of their life to achieve something so historic, show the good example, but they just weren't interested. So compared, you know, fast forward, you know, how many years has it been? Seven? No, since then, four, four years. Completely different. What's happened in the last four years is incredible and I'm so excited with you know the female AFL the cricket hearing about all these salaries for, for females um, that they're going to receive to do the sport that for so long they're doing because of their their passion and their juggling family life and careers just to support their passion um, it's really exciting and to see that it's being televised now and you know the, the major networks are looking into you know picking these up it's just not on the secondary channels or always on SBS or Channel 2 which I grew up watching I think they're incredible programs but you know the majority of the Australian are going to stick to the, the big big networks um, and I think that we need a promoter I really believe it's like if like that movie like if you build it they'll come like y- you just have to put it out there and we've seen such an amazing response to it like the crowds were packed and families and fathers were bringing their their, their children to watch this and I think that sport and sport for females needs to be shown as a career and as an alternative like I think we need to get as far away from the the stereotype there's going to be you know women there that you know want to be focused I guess you know not just on the fashion or beauty and image which is you know and being sexy which is just just the norm for so long for females it's like no like let them be hardworking athletes that are dedicated and um, persistent and uh, have really good self-belief and then become really good role models into the community like that's the alternative that we have to be promoting for like these young girls growing up. And Carmen, I think that's the right point. Like if you build it, they will come because growing up as a little girl, I used to watch rugby league and I still do, but Mm. I don't think I ever thought about 
why are there no girls playing rugby league? Why can't I watch women playing rugby league on my television? And mm-hmm. because I truly believe you can't be what you can't see. And now little yep. girls are growing up knowing that they can pursue a, a career in AFL if they want to or cricket or that women do play rugby league and women can represent their country in the sports they love at an elite level. I think that's um, that's the point. I don't know. Like in, in all honesty, I didn't watch AFL or rugby growing up because I just wasn't interested in watching something that I couldn't participate in. Like my focus was like, oh, do my own training and get involved in sports. You know, I'm very fortunate that I had a father who loved sports. He was a basketballer himself. He loved martial arts. He got us into it. Like he never made us feel like indifferent from being a female. It was like, yes, go, go for it and go for the top. So um yeah, now it's actually made me keen to watch it on TV knowing that it's available. But otherwise, it's I, I wouldn't have uh, sort of wasted my time watching just watching boys run boys around. Run around. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't an interest. I'm like, I'm going to go do that myself. I'm probably not a very good spectator. But um, definitely if, if females are watching it, then I'd be – if it was on TV, then I'd be watching the females. Yeah, for sure. So, Carmen, what competitions are coming up for you? What should we be keeping an eye out for? Well, I actually recently qualified for my ninth world championships. So um, Taekwondo has their world championships every two years, Mm -hmm. which means I've been around for a long time. But (laughs) I qualified for my first world championships when I was 14. Um, And, yeah, I just feel incredibly blessed to still be in this sport, you know, relatively injury-free. I know a lot of uh, athletes go through some tough injuries, um, but I've – yeah, being able to stick at it for for this time and still have that love for the sport. And I'm trying a new weight division. So, um, you know, reassessing, you know, tactically after Rio, um, the, the girls which I was fighting were very tall, very strong. Um, for Rio, they brought in the electronic head guards, which weren't uh, at the um, – at the London Olympics, which are a lot more sensitive. So fighting the taller females who would just hold their leg up and flick you up to the face, sometimes the static would just – it wouldn't even hit you hard, but the static would just register a score, and that's three points. Um, This year they've changed the rules, so you're not allowed to hold your leg up for longer than a few seconds without actually doing something. Um, They've increased the body shots to two points instead of one. So it's made the matches a lot more even, a lot more fairer. Um, They want to see everyone punching on instead of just bouncing there or holding their leg up. There's a lot more action, a lot more dynamic kicks, turning kicks. And I feel um, I just recently was in Europe at fighting the lighter weight division. um, And, yeah, my strength is is a lot more evenly matched. So it's an exciting year. I'm trying, you know, to leave no stone unturned. I'm trying to, you know, reassess and, you know, have to be realistic about uh, which weight division is going to work for me now with the current game and we'll take it from there. Second half of the year is um, the Grand Prix, which I still need to qualify for if all goes well at the, the World Championships and I can get my ranking up. Um, yeah, so it's an exciting year. I feel really invigorated and really excited and I want to be addressing things like my fitness and I want to be bringing in um, other ideas from other sports I think I've mentioned it before maybe with with Brittany like you know tying in with AFL getting some of their ideas Um, I studied exercise and sports science and I I just feel like our sport has just so uh, uh, quite a far way to go we haven't utilized every I think possible aspect of sports science and how it can benefit our sport especially within Australia there's other countries um uh, Great Britain, uh, Korea, France that have, but I think in Australia we're still, yeah, a few steps behind. So I'm excited to to add that into my sport and see where it takes me. Carmen, I'm so excited to watch your progress for the rest of the year. Thank you so much for coming in. I think I love you even more now after <laughs> chatting with you again than you I did before. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is Let's start with cricket. 
Four of Australia's leading female coaches will embark on a study tour in the US later this month with the trip aimed at developing Australia's elite and upcoming coaches. The tour is designed to provide coaches with the chance to experience a variety of high-performance environments. So four former players will be going and the quartet all hold coaching roles with their respective state associations and WBBL teams. Mega congrats to one of my favourite athletes in the entire world, Melissa Wu, who won bronze in the mixed 10-metre synchro at the FINA Diving World Series in Russia last week. I'm such a big fan of Melissa and she knows it, so congratulations to her on her outstanding performance. Now, I'm not sure how many of you saw, but I wrote a critical article on the state of women's rugby on the raw yesterday. The reality is that I want to see the ARU doing more when it comes to our Wallaroos, and I won't stop until everyone in Australia knows who the Wallaroos are. I did just want to mention though a couple of things that rugby are doing at the moment around women's rugby. So the Wallaroos are currently in satellite programs at a super rugby clubs around the country and they're preparing for the June series and the Women's Rugby World Cup. The National Women's 15s are going to head to the Gold Coast this year with teams competing from around the country alongside Adversides and the championship's been run every year since the last World Cup as we continue to create depth and build strength at a national level. And the big one is that last month the ARU announced that the Wallaroos will play New Zealand, England and Canada in New Zealand this June. So this will make the Wallaroos the most prepared they've ever been as they head into a World Cup. But I still want to see more for the Wallaroos and I want to see them playing more than just three games in the lead up to what should be one of the most significant tournaments in their playing careers. And to finish off, Canberra cyclist Gracie Elvin has become the first Australian woman to podium at the Tour of Flanders after finishing second in Belgium's iconic road race earlier this week. She rode a near-perfect race after catching the leaders with just one kilometre to go and she sprinted to the finish line and ended up standing on that podium. Congratulations, Gracie. It's a phenomenal Phenomenal achievement. Radio Hub is Australia's premier podcasting facility. With high quality sound equipment and production services, Radio Hub is a one stop shop for all your podcasting needs. So, if you're ready to jump into the exciting realm of podcasting, contact Radio Hub on 0402 870 900 or email info at radiohub.com.au. That's the end of another episode of Ladies Who League. David, thank you so much for coming in. It was a lot of fun having you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'd come back anytime. Good, because we'd, lo- <laughs> we'd love to have you back. So <laughs> you're welcome here anytime. And Carmen, it was so amazing to have you in. You know I think you're amazing, so it was great to have you in the studio. Uh, thank you so much again. And, yeah, you're, what you're doing is, is really wonderful, so... Yeah, likewise, I think you're amazing too. Oh, my goodness. I'm just so happy. <laughs> it's just the best day ever. Uh, hopefully, it will continue to be the best day ever. Uh, I'm heading off to do biathlon this afternoon, believe it or not. Where? So, <laughs> this is an interesting story. Last year, we had Australia's best biathlete, Jill Colburn, on the show. And Biathlon Australia are doing a training camp in Hornsby this afternoon. So, I'm heading out to do biathlon this afternoon. Define biathlon. So, biathlon is a snow sport and it is basically cross-country skiing with an element of shooting in it. 
I'm not doing cross-country skiing because I'm extremely uncoordinated. That's why I talk about sport and don't actually play. <laughs> I think I'm having like a shooting lesson this afternoon. Oh, right. So there's no there's no snowfields up in Newport No, there's no, there's, there's no snowfields up in Hornsby. But uh, look, that should be a lot of fun. I also want to say a big thanks to Danica for coming in. She had to head off to work. So a big thanks to her for coming in. It's always a lot of fun talking rugby league with her. Hope you all have a fantastic weekend. Thanks for listening. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. You've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. Turn your porch lights off because we're coming home with a trophy. Last play. Bremner goes down the short side, turns it away to Karina Brown. She puts it on the foot. That's taken the hand of Fiso. Brown hustling up. She's dived on the ball. You're listening to Ladies Who League.